You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. I am Drew Hubbard here as usual with Josh Boland. And a little bit different start today. We have no more coronavirus updates. Such a good episode. But because of the coronavirus outbreak, MLS is joining the esports realm. Uh, By the time we're recording this today, uh, MLS just announced that they would be having an esports tournament between uh, just teams in the league with players and the club's EMLS players. Um, I think leg one is supposed to be between the players themselves and then leg two will be their EMLS players. And I think this is, MLS is joining other major sports leagues that are doing this. Um, And NBA and Major League Baseball have been doing theirs. So... That is just a new thing that MLS is doing, which I'm excited about. It's something new and different to watch. Josh, are you like excited about this tournament at all? I'm definitely more excited about this than I am uh, the other sports leagues that have, have done online gaming so far. Um, the part that I'm excited about is the formatting of it with players against each other, MLS players, and then the EMLS guys for their respective clubs going up against each other in different legs. I think that's going to be a really cool element that not a lot of other sports leagues such as the NBA or MLB uh, can really tap into since they don't have their own e, uh, esports guys with their team. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how the players go against each other and then the, the EMLS guys uh, fare against each other as well. Yeah, I'm super pumped. So... While we do not have real MLS to make predictions, we are going to add a new segment to our episodes where we're going to make predictions about who's going to advance. And this week, you only get two matchups a week. Um, And this week is Chicago and Cincinnati and the LA Derby. So we're going to make our first selections of the EMLS tournament. I'm really excited about it. So we're going to start with Chicago and Cincinnati. Francisco Calvo is going for Chicago. And Kendall Waston is going for Cincinnati. So, Josh, based on those two guys, who do you think is going to win between Chicago and Cincinnati? Well, since my uh, EMLS knowledge is limited specifically for these players uh, as well, I I don't, to be honest, know that much outside of a few players uh, for the EMLS side. But for these players' side, I think I'm just going to judge these guys on how they would do in-game action in real life and because of that i'm gonna pick cincinnati kendall waston over francisco calvo uh, i think waston's just kind of a jerk on the field he's just kind of got that reputation lots of yellow cards uh real uh, physical player and can get in, inside dudes heads and so because of that i'm gonna give him the slight edge over calvo i could be totally wrong calvo could be some amazing fifa 20 player i just have no idea but based on how I envision those two would play out against each other on the field. I'm going to go with uh, Kendall Waston. Yeah, I think, I hope these guys have microphones like you do when you play online sometimes. Cause I feel like Kendall Waston with a mic on a PS4 or Xbox one would be gold entertainment. Um, so I think I'm going to pick Kendall Waston too. Um, 
Yeah, again, I don't know if either of these guys are really good at FIFA, but I think Watson's the kind of guy where you're playing FIFA with your friends and he, like, breaks the remote on the wall or something like that. So if he has a mic, I think he's going to get in Francisco's head, and I'm really excited about it. So I think I'm joining with you. I'm going to say Cincinnati. Um, again, we could be totally wrong. Maybe Francisco's really good at FIFA. Maybe, maybe Kendall's really bad. Um, I don't know, but I'm excited to watch it. But... So we got Chicago, Cincinnati, both picking Cincy to go through on that one. Um, the next one, the LA Derby, El Trafico meets EMLS. Uh, Chicharito is going for the Galaxy, and Adon- uh, Diamande is going for LAFC. Uh, and LA Galaxy's EMLS, EMLS player, his name is Godfather. So that's the coolest thing ever. So I think... And I feel like Chicharito is really good at MLS. I don't know why, but I think he's got some some of his sleeves. So I'm picking LA Galaxy to win in this FIFA matchup. I am going to have to pick LAFC. And the only logic I'm going to use behind this is that Diomande is a couple years older than Chicharito. So I'm just going to assume that based on age, Dio is a little more involved with the whole video games thing. So just on age, the youth... I think that's an advantage when it comes to playing video games. So I am going to pick LAFC and uh, and go on a different route from you. Awesome. So there you have it. We have both have Cincinnati going through and we differentiate between the Los Angeles first ever EMLS matchup in this situation. Um, and then next week we get Minnesota, Kansas City, DC and New England. But for now, stick in with Chicago, Cincinnati and the two LA teams. So yeah, that's just something new MLS is doing, um, which is really exciting. They're kind of filling this gap that I think all sports fans are feeling due to COVID-19 and the pandemic. And I know there's a lot of confusion around the virus as whole as to when sports are coming back, if sports are coming back. Um, I think that leads to a lot of confusion about what to do when sports do come back, whether it's this calendar year or next year. And Josh, what do you think, MLS in particular, what do you think this league needs to do when sports come back? Or how does MLS need to deal with this virus? Yeah, so we kind of talked, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, about when we thought sports would come back, uh, specifically soccer. Uh, We discussed how Darren Eels said the league is still really trying hard to fit in a full season. That being said... I think, personally, the league should just wait an entire year. Pick everything back up next March. Pick up where you left off as well. So most teams, I think all teams actually, have played their two games uh, in the in the 2020 league season so far. It sucks, and it's clearly not ideal, and I don't even really know if this is entirely plausible. But if I was running things, I'd have them just wait an entire year Start over again and, and next March, continue next March, pick up on week three. And there are a couple aspects to making that decision. So the first thing is money, because that's what everything comes down to. That's why people are trying to get sports to come back in the first place. And the most plausible idea I could come up with on how to deal with that is to just drop all MLS players' salaries for the time being. Drop them down to the base salary under the previous CBA, not the current CBA, I believe. And I could be wrong about this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure 
they haven't fully ratified the new CBA yet. And I don't foresee that happening under the, the current situation with the virus and everything. So everyone's going to drop down to that base salary of $56,250 a season. That should be plenty of money to hold players over for the next year for when things pick back up. And then the way you counterbalance that is, let's say you are a TAM player and you're making $2 million over the course of a two-year contract. So what's going to happen is, first, that contract's going to get extended. If it says that your contract ends in 2021, it's going to automatically get a year added to it for 2022. And then what's going to happen is you're going to make your 56000 this season for the course of 2020. And instead of making your full million dollars in 2021 and in 2022, you're going to take off the 56000 over the course of the two seasons. So you're going to make 28000 less than the full million in 21 and in 22. And this can be applied to everybody. Now, for those players that are making the base salary, this is where I believe the league could and should tap into the money saved up from some, from Soccer United Marketing. There is apparently millions of dollars in a a fund right now that's just sitting. So what you're going to do is you're going to redistribute some of that money to those base players so that they can have the money to survive this next year without having to find another job, which is already difficult enough in the current situation. That way they avoid that altogether. They get their money this year and they can continue to make that base salary through the life of their contract. Now that's, that contract extension will apply to every single player. The only major fault to this is that aging still happens. So if you're a player that's in your your last couple of years, you know, you, you just can't get the time back and, and it sucks for those guys, but it's the reality for everybody right now. So that's the, the money side of things. And I know that's a very basic argument. I don't have all the full details. I can't speak to what the league would do if they decide to go that route, at least from a money standpoint, but on the face of it and just from looking around at some and looking up their base salaries and all that, I think that's the most plausible idea. Because at the end of the day, if the league can't start up by, let's say, June, there's no way they're going to be able to fit in all the games to have a full season in just those last few months and to start the next season on time. So you just get rid of that altogether. You keep the same schedule for next year. Now, with that, with the days shifted a little bit, it's going to shift dates. So, for example... The next MLS game that was supposed to be played after the league suspended was New York City FC, FC Dallas on Saturday, March 14th. All that will happen is that'll get shifted to March 13th of 2021. And you will do that with every single date. Most teams, most clubs, stadiums, they keep the same yearly schedule where they plan for MLS games, they plan for other events like concerts, maybe other sports teams that share a stadium with them, in which case you're most likely going to have the same schedule generally for next season. And I, I believe that that's the easiest way around starting after a full season. And again, this is just a super basic idea. This came to me 
in the last couple of weeks. I do apologize if this has already been suggested by someone else out in the in the soccer sphere. Um, I haven't admittedly been reading too much about other people's ideas on how to handle the situation, but at least from, from my point of view, I think the simplest thing is to just go ahead and call it and say, hey, sports aren't coming back this year. It sucks, but there are bigger problems to deal with economically, from a health standpoint, from a global standpoint, really. But I think MLS needs to get out ahead of this, and, and they're lucky in that their season wasn't that far in. They don't have to deal with, oh, what about this team that's 20 points ahead in the table right now and is supposed to win but might not be able to finish the season? No, MLS doesn't have to worry about that. This way they can still get in their 25th anniversary season. It'll just be a year later, and you can still finish out the season. So that's how I think MLS should handle it. Like I said, simple thing. I don't know the inner workings of the league. I highly doubt the owners would go for this just from a money standpoint. You already see them furloughing a bunch of their employees outside of of first teamers and coaches, which is disappointing, but that's a whole other topic. Um, So I personally believe that that's the smartest thing to do, and I think it's the most manageable thing to do as as much as no one wants to see it. Everyone wants sports to come back. Uh, You and I, we want sports to come back. We love sports. People listening to this probably love sports, even if not just soccer. And again, it sucks to say it, but I think that's just the reality of it. And I think that that's the best way to handle this. Yeah, I think a lot of people are trying to find a a resolution to this issue that's perfect in every way. And I don't think that really exists, like you mentioned, with the aging thing. I mean, that's something you just got to deal with. Um, Then you have injuries that just happen that wouldn't have happened if a normal season had occurred. Um, but I think that's a good point that you make. I think that's a very plausible situation. Um, again, not ideal, but I don't think an ideal answer exists about this because no one saw this coming. And I think, like you mentioned, if the league were to start later, um, you would either a risk pushing back the start of 2021, or you'd be cramming in an already short off season even less, um, which that could result in more injuries than we previously would have seen so then you're letting this affect 2021 and you're letting it affect guys careers past that this so i think that's a good argument um again there's no really ideal situation how to deal with this because we're not in an ideal situation by any means but like you mentioned mls is in a cool not cool but a fortunate a luckier spot than most leagues that the season hadn't really started yet that you weren't having like a Liverpool situation where a team is finally there um, about to win the league and then it all gets shut down. So that's, that's a good point. I think you make a really good argument and that's very possible. Again, probably not a lot of people want it to happen, but like we mentioned last week, the last thing you want to happen is for everything to get started back up, a player um, contract the virus or a coach or just someone that works for a team and you have to start this whole thing over. So I think you make a good argument that it's best to shut it down, um, you know, bite the bullet. No one wants this to happen, but we got to deal with it. And then you have 2021. You have a lot of buildup to the season. A lot of people are going to be excited for MLS again. And I think that is the safest way, um, both from like a physical injury standpoint, as far as guys, you know, tearing ligaments, breaking bones, and just from a virus standpoint, I think that'll be a good situation for MLS to be in at that point. Yeah, it's just it's just not worth the risk to try to rush anything to come back. And I don't think playing like, you know, you see some leagues suggesting playing in a centralized location and 
again, with MLS being so early in the season, that's just not, I don't think, a, a ideal solution. Not that there really is one, but generally speaking, I, I don't think that's an ideal situation for the league. Some people might bring up a counter argument where they say, you know, from a scheduling standpoint, well, what if you just switch to the European calendar? Well, here's the thing. You can't push back MLS because of how their calendar sits because of the World Cup 2022. And I am am very, very against how the calendar is currently set up with the league starting in the first weekend of March and ending uh, the first weekend of October. I'm, I'm very against that. I prefer the old way where the the season ended in the last weekend of October. That being said, you know, there are a lot of people that are saying, well, MLS shifted the calendar around to better accommodate World Cup 2022. And then they were going to look at switching the schedule after that to extend it further to have not as long of an offseason, which once that point is brought up, I, th- I think it does make a little more sense with the current calendar. That being said, you can't just shift back the 2021 season. You know, let's say they try to finish this current season and they can't get it done until, I don't know, the end of December. Well, at best case scenario, you have to give the players a certain amount of time off. That means they're coming back mid, late March, and then they're having to go up against the World Cup the following year. So I I don't think that starting later than normal is a good idea. And... I don't think that shifting the schedule to a European calendar either is a good idea. It's just not going to work in this country with the extreme climates that some places deal with. So, again, not an ideal situation, but it's just what it is. Yeah, I think the last thing people would want to do is play February soccer in Yankee Stadium when it's freezing cold. So... Yeah, that's a good point. Um, a lot of confusion, a lot of freaking out of what's going on in Major League Baseball. Um, they haven't even started yet, and they're still trying to get just a season in, in general. And I know they talked about the spring training locations um, and doing the whole centralized thing. I know Chinese baseball just started back up, which is pretty cool to watch. I watched it was like the first home run of 2020. I saw it on Twitter. So, and I know there's a plan to get Bundesliga back. Um, as early as May 9th. And again, that was a very unofficial report. So I don't even know if that's a legitimate possibility or what, but people, yeah, we're getting to that point. I think where people are wanting their sports back, but there's a lot of questions that go around with how to get those back safest way possible for players, for fans, and even the possibility of not playing with fans. A lot of athletes, I know LeBron James even said that playing without fans is weird. Um, So I can't imagine what, playing in Atlanta or Seattle or Portland, you know, with those stadiums just empty would feel like for the players. And if they even want to do that, um, is a totally different question entirely. So a lot of, a lot of things in the air about the return of MLS right now. Agree with so much of that. And, and you hear all these players talking about how they don't want to play without fans. I don't blame them. And as a fan myself, I want to be at these games and that just can't happen unless leagues in general, but specifically MLS play it safe for a while. It's going to suck, but it's just the hands that we've been dealt at this point. And it's better to be safe than sorry. And at this rate, I think it's just better to wait a little bit longer so that a more normal season can take place. So, again, it is what it is. I think that they should just put things on pause until next year, pick up where they left off. Same thing for CCL and all that extra stuff. You know, this region is lucky in that they operate on mostly... 
a mostly similar calendar. We're not going up against, say, UEFA or the other European federations that deal with an entirely different calendar and, and Champions League format and all that. But, it, it, it again, it sucks. It does. But it is what it is. I think we just got to wait so that we can enjoy sports as much as possible when they do come back in full force. Yeah, again, there's not an ideal situation of how to deal with this. Um, so, we're, yeah, like you said, we got to play with what we've been dealt with. And it's going to be annoying and hard to work with either way. But got to find the best way possible. But uh, on a much lighter note and getting more into what we're talking about today, MLS tweeted out this really fun graphic. It was um, an 11 based on, for the U.S. Women's National Team, it was a starting 11 based on players that play in MLS and players that are in Europe. Um, I think they tweeted out the t- yesterday from the day we're recording this, the 12th. And I don't know if you saw it, Josh, but what were some standouts to you from that these two 11s? The, the couple of things really jumped out at me, and it's actually got to do with players that have been omitted entirely. The, the first one that really jumped out was the omission of Michael Bradley. Instead, uh, they've got Jackson Ewell in the sort of number six midfield role. Uh, as opposed to Bradley, who would probably be getting the start, I think, if this game was played tomorrow. Uh, the other big one is at left back, and that's got Ryan Hollingshead, who has never been capped by the U.S., and if I'm not mistaken, he plays center back for Dallas. So that would be sort of playing him out of a familiar position. I think it also goes to show sort of the lack of left back depth uh, that U.S. is dealing with right now. That really highlights that. But those were the the first two really big ones that jumped out at me. Anything that jumped out at you, Drew? Um, you know, that was interesting not seeing Michael Bradley. I think that was the biggest thing. Um, I thought goalie was goalie. I mean, having Brad Guzan there makes sense, but it's just interesting between him and Bill Hamid, all of the things that have been said, tweeted about those two guys in that matchup, who's better, who's not. Um, but I would really like to see a Josie Altidore, Matt Miazga um, battling it out. Josie Altidore is that in that front three and Matt Miazga um, in the European 11, starting in the center back with John Brooks. So that would be a lot of fun. Um, Miazga, I don't know if he could take Altidore. Uh, Altidore is just a big man, and that would be a lot of fun. But Miazga is a big man too. And just Zach Steffen in general, breaking behind, breaking through that guy just seems like an impossible task so much. But that'd be cool. I think that's the thing that sticks out most to me um, would be that Josie Outdoor, Matt Miosko, Zach Steffen kind of duel that they would have on that side of the field. And also from the MLS 11, um, the two center backs between Aaron Long and Miles Robinson. That's just cool to see two really young guys. Um, so yeah, those, I think the center backs are where my attention turned most of the time. So Drew, looking at this matchup of European-based 11 versus MLS base 11, what is the most intriguing tactical matchup for you that jumps out at you from this? Um, I think, I think I'm going to turn to Reggie Cannon on the right. Um, that guy has been so exciting to watch for Dallas. And I think, you know, he's turning more into a player that gets really high up the field and that'd be really cool to see him. And he's got Pulisic, Reina and Robinson, um, from the European 11 that he's got to deal with on the left them for there for them. So that would be interesting. I think I'm going to, 
and Paul Areola isn't a nothing to sneeze at there on the right side. So I think specifically I would look at Reggie Cannon there getting up the field, um, seeing if he can get up the field, and whether or not he can get back or not is another question, too, that fullbacks have to deal with. So he's really exciting to watch for Dallas. Um, just really both the fullbacks in general from Dallas, just if they can get up the field against these guys and if they can get back before it's burning them too soon. Um, what about for you? What are some tactical things that are sticking out to you with this graphic? The biggest one for me, other than that side, which I agree is, is super interesting, it, for me is that left side, Jordan Morris, left wing in the U.S. graphic for MLS, and then Serginho Dest at right back for the European-based uh, starting eleven. Morris and Dest, I think, would be a really fun matchup. I, I think, you know, Dest is a guy that really likes to get forward, so... Hollings said at left back, which we already talked about, he'd probably have his hands full of Dest. Uh, you've got Pomacol putting out fires, also probably dealing with Dest. But from a MLS attacking standpoint, with Morris coming in down that flank, I think seeing how Dest would defend against him would be really interesting because Dest is an exciting prospect. Don't get me wrong. Really great to have such a young fullback with great potential, something that the U.S. typically is lacking. That being said, he's still so young, and I think Morris has a little bit more of that big game experience, in which case he can outmaneuver Dest down in that corner. And we were talking earlier about Matt Miazga and having his hands full with Altidore. Uh, Brooks as well, for that matter, John Brooks. So I think really the MLS wings, you were talking about Ariola as well. Seeing Ariola and Morris go up the against the European fullbacks, which is Dest, and then Anthony Robinson at left back, I, would, I think would be the most intriguing aspect of all that because that's just so much more experience on the MLS side of things, um, even if those young guys might have more potential talent down the road. But I think experience would win out in this case, and I could definitely see them giving that back for some problems. Yeah, I think so. In general, looking at both these teams as a whole, um, if this game were to happen tomorrow, who do you think is winning this one? You know, that's that's a really, really tough question. I I have to give the edge to I think the MLS side. And and the real deal breaker there is I think the strikers. We already talked to Josie Altador is in that MLS side. But then Josh Sargent is in the European based side. And I could see Altador finding a way to beat Miazga and Brooks, but I can't see Josh Sargent finding a way to beat Miles Robinson and Aaron Long. I think Jackson Yu will do a good enough job of shutting down Sargent in midfield to the point where he wouldn't be able to have an impact on Long and Robinson. That being said, the European side, their midfield is strong. Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic. And so I think that midfield could at times make up for Sargent's inexperience in youth. But at the end of the day, I personally would give the edge to Altidore. I think, truthfully, this game would end maybe two to one, three to two, possibly even a draw. It almost feels like where one side has a weakness, the other side is strong and vice versa. What about you? Who would you have winning? Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I think, like you mentioned, the midfield for the European base 11, West McKinney, Tyler Adams, and Christian Pulisic, that's just so strong. And it's hard to figure that a team with those three guys in midfield is going to lose. But like you mentioned, I mean, there's talent potential through the roof for this European 11. Um, but I think, yeah, my I just think Josie Altor, I think he's going to be too much to handle for that back line, with, specifically with Miaska and John Brooks. 
I don't know if they could, if they would do as well the job shutting him down as, like you mentioned, Aaron Long and Miles Robinson shutting down, specifically Josh Sargent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this would be close, and it's hard to think that those three midfielders of McKinney, Adams, and Pulisic wouldn't help make up for some of that, like you mentioned. Um, we obviously know how good of players they are. Tyler Adams specifically with what he did in MLS and the excitement around Pulisic and McKinney. So I do, I think if it was played tomorrow, I think I'll give it to MLS just because of experience. But again, if you look at, you know, we could be looking at 10 years and seeing what all these guys on the European 11, um, seeing what they've done and how they've grown and just seeing incredible players. But right now, I think I'll give it to MLS, but that doesn't mean that, now, this European team, it's so exciting just to think about this potential 11 when they do get older and get more experience in the leagues that they're in. So kind of bouncing off of that whole idea of the men's national team, um, we're going to transition to the meat of the episode where we're going to talk about our uh, U.S. men's national team, MLS only best 11. Um, when we thought about this episode, we did not know that MLS was going to tweet out this graphic. So if there are some similarities, oh well. But we didn't know this was going to happen, but it kind of works out well. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about our U.S. men's national team, MLS only 11 first. Um, then we're going to transition to our Canada men's national team, MLS only 11. So, Josh, uh, for you, where's there... Who makes up your MLS only 11? Was it really similar to the one the graphic put out or is it like totally different ballpark or who makes up your MLS only 11? There there are a few similarities in there. Uh, the biggest one, I'll, I'll just go from the back with it. I also have Brad Gazan starting a goalkeeper. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you talked about it earlier. It is definitely between I think him and Bill Hamid, even though Hamid hasn't really been getting too many calls because of his weakness in terms of playing with his feet. Uh, that being said, you know I, I'm going to give Gazan the edge. He's got that experience, uh, and so I think in terms of you know pure, pure MLS players, uh, Gazan's probably a good choice. I think a, a sort of sleeper pick though, and, and I considered it, Stefan Fry. Uh, he is eligible. He's just never been capped, so I don't think it's a realistic choice. I, you know, if he was going to be part of Burhalter's plans to be in the U.S. Men's National Team, he would have gotten called up by now, I think, but. He's, he's a, another name to go to. Uh, along the back line, at left back, we talked earlier, Ryan Hollins, Hollingshead was, was chosen in that graphic. I'm going with Nick Lima. He impressed me with his right back play under Burhalter through that first year. And he spent a, a little bit of time with the Earthquakes under Matias Almeida at left back. So he definitely has some experience there. I would rather him be on the field than any of the other options when it comes to MLS-based U.S. men's national team left backs. So I've got Nick Lima there. I've also got Aaron Long in the middle. I think at this point he's sort of the leader when it comes to MLS center backs in the men's national team. Now, at first I had Miles Robinson, but the more I thought about it, he just hasn't played enough with the U.S. men's national team at this point for me to comfortably select him. So I actually picked Walker Zimmerman. That's a big difference for me. So I've got Long and Zimmerman there in the middle. And then just like the graphic, Reggie Cannon's at right back. I think that's an easy decision when it comes to MLS right backs. In midfield, um, I've also got Sebastian Legette and Paxton Pomacol. But I did pick Bradley over Yule. I kind of approached this as if the USMNT had to win a game tomorrow against any team in the world 
And I think I'd still rather have Bradley just because of his experience. Uh, I think that really wins out over Yule for right now. That could be totally different a year from now, two years from now, when Bradley's a little older and Yule's got a little more game experience under his belt. And then the front three. I've also got Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola. I don't think there are really any better options. I toyed with the idea of putting Christian Roldan at right wing over Paul Ariola, which might surprise some people because he spent so much time in Seattle's midfield last year and also played in the midfield under Berhalter. But it seemed as though he was going to start playing right wing uh, for Seattle this year. Uh, now that they had, uh, I think it's Jao Paulo uh, in midfield, and they were going to push Roldan out to the wing. So I, I thought about putting him out there uh, over Paul Ariola, but he's just such a workhorse, and I think he's so important. Now, when it comes to striker, I am going controversial here. I did not pick Josie Altador. What? I just think, yep, I just don't think he stays healthy enough. And like I said, if, if I was going to pick a team to win tomorrow, I just don't trust Altador and his ability to stay fit. And so I did pick Jossie Zardis over oh Josie Altador. I did it. <laughs> no one will probably agree with me, but I... I I went for it, man. I did it. And you know what? He's got great stats on paper. Granted, he hasn't really seen like fantastic, difficult opposition, but yep, hot take right there. I, I picked Zardis over. <laughs> How about you? What do you have going on in your MLS-based USMNT? Well, starting with that, I did pick Altidore, not Jesse Zardis, but we'll get to that more. Um, but I took a weird approach to this. I'm, I'm excited to see a reaction, but in goal, I did pick Brad Duzan um, because I try to think of players that, like there's some players, like we talked about Ryan Hollingshead, where they look really good and they've done some damage at MLS, but they just haven't been picked for the national team for whatever reason. So I try to make this like kind of a realistic 11 that you might legitimately see. Um, some players that I've had that have been capped like Stephen Fry, you see him on paper and you wonder why hasn't he been called up. But regardless, so... I do have Braguzan in goal. Uh, that, again, like you mentioned, that was a toss-up. But this is where it gets interesting. So I am a big fan of the back three and just the three center back idea. So my the players aren't too interesting, but along my back three, I have Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, and Miles Robinson. And like you talked about, these guys, they've just done really good stuff in MLS, really exciting future. But... And then I do have Reggie Cannon, so I'm not totally discluding him. But Reggie Cannon, Darlington Nagby, Michael Bradley, and Nick Lima are making up my midfield um, with Nagby and Bradley um, in the middle of that group of four with Reggie Cannon on the right and Nick Lima on the left. Like you mentioned, both players are really exciting. Um, Reggie Cannon, again, is getting really good. He's turned, His game is focusing a lot more on the attacking side. I know... Big D Soccer with SB Nation. I'm Dallas's little affiliate there. Did a piece on him and like his crosses are increasing, his shots inside the box are increasing, his dribbles are increasing. So Reggie Cannon, I think, is really exciting. Um, we know what he can do at right back, so I think that'd be really interesting to see him more into a midfield role. Um, so that is my midfield and my front three is the exact same as the graphic. I have Paul Ariola, Josie Outdoor, and Jordan Morris. Um, again, like you mentioned, it's hard to argue anyone else besides Ariola and Morris on the wings there. 
um, an outdoor. Yeah, I mean, that is a question of fitness, but like Areola, I think Areola is out for the rest of the year um, if we did have a 2020 season. So that is a legit thing. I think I'm just giving to outdoor just because how physical this guy is. And he just, he just runs over everyone. But that is a definitely a toss-up. And I think national team fans have been having this debate for as long as I can remember about Jossie Zardes and Josie Outdoor. But I gave the not to outdoor, I think based on experience and just how physical that guy is. But Giassi, I it makes sense, like you said on paper, he has he somehow he finds a way to score goals. And I think it was that one time and like hit the post and then like accidentally hit his face and then went in the goal. Like that's oh, yeah. the most Giassi's artist goal. Yes, exactly. That's I'm I'm all for it, man. I'm I'm here for it. I don't I don't even care. You know, you, you make him make him a meme all you want. Like I, I totally understand where that's coming from, but that's that's one of the best parts about watching him play. You just never know. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, hey, if the men ever win a World Cup and that's the goal that wins them a World Cup, an accidental Giassi's artist face shot, I'm all for it. I don't care how it gets in the net, but just get in there, Giassi. Now, I got to say, I'm a little surprised. Uh, I, I love the idea of going with the back three. I think like that's a super out-of-the-box way of approaching it. Um that being said, when you said you were going to go with the back three, I thought you'd go with the 3 5 2. Because I could definitely see Jordan Morris and Josie Altador up top, or Altador and, and Zardis, or Morris and Zardis, any combination of those guys. But, you know, then that the trouble becomes well, who do you play at left back? Where does Ariola go? Because Ariola would make a great wing back, but then there's no room for Reggie Cannon. I guess you could play him on the left as a left wing back, but even then, I think that's kind of pushing it. Although. It might be crazy, but it might be interesting to see Jordan Morris at left wing back. But I digress. We'll probably never see a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3 under Burhalter while he's here. I, I think I'd be surprised to watch them attack that way. But I love the idea of having a back three, especially you know that way you can include Long, Zimmerman, and Robinson all in the back there. Yeah, and as I was making this, I was trying to – decipher which between and even Ike Opara came in the mix but he was one of those that even though he's done so good in MLS he hasn't been called up for whatever reason so I kind of left him out there but it was hard I think it was just too hard picking between two of those three so I thought yeah, why not let's just get all three in there but yeah I think the back four I think that's going to be a consistent staple of Greg Berhalter's system but yeah that is our MLS best 11 now we are shifting to Canada, our men's national team best 11. And um, a lot of these guys, it was fun. They all play for Vancouver or Toronto, a large majority of them. So shout out to those teams for keeping it local there. But for my Canadian men's national team 11, um, in goal, starting from the back, I have Vancouver's goalies, Max Grapau, um, the guy he had 114 saves last year. And he broke the all-time record in saves. Uh, I think it was 13 saves in a 3-1 to one loss to San Jose, which I feel like that just sums up the Vancouver Whitecaps perfectly, that your goalie breaks a record for saves and you still lose 3-1. to one. So I really like what he's doing. Um, it was I think when David O said left Vancouver, there's kind of that hole of how well he performed in Vancouver, and I think Max is doing a pretty good job of fulfilling that. But I'm sticking with a back three here for my Canadian national team. Um, and I have Kamal Miller, Derek Cornelius, and Raheem Edwards are my MLS back three. Um, those guys 
just doing good stuff their respective clubs. Um, again, it's kind of sticking with that like three center back system. None of those guys are going to be getting high up the field by any means. But those are my back three uh, with my back four. I mean, my mid my midfield, my four guys in the midfield. This one was pretty easy in MLS. But I have Mark Anthony K, Jonathan Rosario, and Samuel Piet. Um, and joining them is Richie Larea. Um, yeah, and obviously we know what Mark Anthony K, Jonathan Rosario, how important they are to their teams. Um, and Samuel Piet with Montreal. That's really fun to watch. And Richie Larea, he's just an exciting player. Um, he was kind of this in the super sub role for Toronto. Um, but he showed up in their playoff run, and he drew a penalty kick against NYCFC um, to get them to advance. And then he scored eventually the game winner against DC United in their playoff run. I think it was like a 5-1 to one win. So it was kind of a route, but he scored that second goal. So I really like watching Larea play. Um, he's kind of the sub super sub role, but he's succeeding in that. And, I mean, if you can do that with limited time on the field, I would like to see what he can do with a full starting 90. Um, so that's my midfield. And my front three, I have Lucas Cavallini with Vancouver, his first year in Vancouver. Theo Blair, um, also with the Whitecaps, and Tesho Akindale. That's my front three. Um, yeah, I think Cavallini is a really exciting prospect for Vancouver. I know they were really excited to watch him play. And he had a lot of hype because, you know, he's kind of his home player. He's not from Vancouver, but... Just having that Canadian national team player is really exciting. Vancouver was really pumped to watch him play. Um, and he played in Mexico and was a good player there as well. Um, he scored 28 goals in three seasons with Puebla in Mexico. So he provided pretty reasonable excitement for Vancouver, I think. So that is my Canadian men's national team 11. Who makes up your 11, Josh? So uh, I'm really excited about this. We've got... A few of the same players, but a few spots where we differ. I also went with a back four here. I went with a 4-3-3, just like I did with the U.S. Uh, we have the same goalkeeper, uh, Maxime Cripo. I, you know, same as you. He, he was fantastic last year, and the, the little bit I got to see him, he was a joy to watch. So that was a fairly obvious choice, I felt, for goalkeeper. Uh, for my back four, I've got Ashton Morgan at left back not on a Canadian MLS team. He is currently with Real Salt Lake. So I was able to get out of the box a little bit with that one. So I've got him at left back. I've got Dan Jakovic at center back. He plays with LAFC right now. Uh, and that's sort of you know, a little bit of an iffy choice, I think. He he didn't really play regularly for them in their first two seasons. Uh, he went out on loan to the Las Vegas Lights in 2019. Uh, but he was getting some minutes with the team at the start of this season, he was playing pretty well in CCL uh, from the games I was watching. So I felt like I had to include him on that back line. So he's there at center back along with Derek Cornelius, who is currently uh, with the Vancouver Whitecaps and then uh, Richie Larea at right back. So I fit him onto the team as well. Like you said, he was really coming on for Toronto last year. Strong finish to the season really helped propel them to MLS cup. So I definitely foresee him getting a lot more caps with the Canada uh, men's national team going forward. So I've got him there on right back. Very similar midfield, Samuel Piet, Jonathan Osorio, and Mark anthony Kay. I think if you try to pick anybody else besides those three at the minimum, you're crazy. It's just so straightforward with their midfield. Very strong and fairly young midfield as well. Now the front three, 
I also have Lucas Cavallini up top. However, for my wing players, I've got uh, Balu Tabla, who just recently rejoined the Montreal Impact. Uh, he was with them, I think it was two seasons ago, and then left to join Barcelona, try and uh, make their first team there. Didn't succeed. Still a really young player, though. But he's back in Montreal, so I would put him there. I think he's a really exciting young player that could turn out to be really good. I mean, he went off to Barcelona. That's an indication of some talent at the very least. So I've got him up there. And then on the other side, I've got Toussaint Ricketts, currently with Vancouver. Bit of an older guy, 32 years old. However, he has done fairly well in MLS. Seems to score a goal or two here or there. Uh, He's featured with Toronto and Vancouver. And I need to double check this, but from looking earlier, I believe he is the second highest scorer for the Canada men's national team behind Dwayne Di Rosario. So I was surprised to see that, but he has scored a lot of goals for the national team. Um, so I felt like he's got to still be included there, even if he's a little bit on his way out. So again, a little bit different from you, and I was able to find a few solid players that somehow aren't playing with Vancouver, Toronto, or Montreal. But uh, that is is my 4-3-3 there for you. Yeah, I was looking at this. I did definitely stumble upon Desant Ricketts. And yeah, he's one of those guys where you kind of, going back to like last week, how we talked about um, our best players in MLS. He's he's definitely on the way out, but what he has done has been really good. And yeah, it's a cool but interesting trend that all these guys play for either Vancouver, Toronto, or Montreal. But I think the Canadian men's national team is in such a cool spot, um, specifically with that 2 nothing win over the U.S. not long ago. But, Josh, when you're looking at these teams on paper, um, I mean, we assume that the U.S. would win, but do you think that like that Canadian team, would that give them a run for their money at all? No, honestly, just not at all. And I think that it speaks to the impact that Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies already have on the Canada men's national team. They're they're young, obviously, but they're already showing their talent over in Europe. Uh, Davies, obviously, with Bayern Munich. And then Jonathan David is with, I think, Anderlecht. Definitely in Belgium, though. He's putting up fantastic numbers in, in the Belgian league there. So I think without those two players, I, I can't see them really fighting the U.S., that much um and i mean you even kind of got a little taste of it back in november when they played down in orlando the u.s won easily four to one and that was with davies and david on the field so again i i think that with those players u.s still sort of has the edge depends on if they're up for it or not but without those two players if it's just the mls guys i honestly just don't see the the Canada team standing a chance, especially if you've got, you know, Josie Altador up top, along with Jordan Morris, Paul Ariola, even Zardis in there. I mean, Zardis, you know, he he played well enough against Canada, though in in the game in November when they won four to one. So, can only imagine what kind of havoc Josie Altador would would just wreak on Canada's backline, which is definitely the weakest part of their their program right now. I mean, there's been a lot of times where you've seen John Herdman playing Mark Anthony Kay at left back. 
when really we all know he's so much more comfortable in midfield. So I think that just speaks to kind of the, the lack of depth for their back line, which is why I definitely give the U.S. the edge. Uh, do you think the same, or do you think Canada might stand a little bit more of a chance? Are you a little higher on them than I am? Um, I think we're pretty much on the same level there, especially, like you mentioned, with just the depth. I mean, we had obviously different strikers with Josie Alstor and Giassi Zardes, but the last thing I think Canada wants to see is having to deal with, let's say, dealing with Giassi Zardes for 60 minutes and on comes Josie Alstor or vice versa. And, I mean, I think, like you mentioned, that speaks to how good Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David are, but I just, I mean, two guys can only do so much, and especially when you just get down to this MLS-based 11. Their midfield, I mean, the midfield to me is definitely the strongest part of this MLS-only team. But like you mentioned, Mark Anthony K, like getting moved around, you're kind of taking one of your best players and not making him as strong as he can be um, in the midfield. So I think I think Canada would hang on for a little bit and then you'd start seeing Giassi Zardes is coming on or Josie Outstor coming on and that would just put the final nail in the coffin. Um, but again, that's it's all depending if the U.S. is up for it. After they lost that first game, I was like the world was ending for me. I thought we were going to lose to Canada every time. But then they came back, so that was exciting. But yeah, I think I'm on the same level as you. I think Canada would hang on for a little bit, and then the depth of the United States would just come through, and you'd have Zardes or Outstore come on and just wreak havoc there for 30 minutes or maybe just 45 or however long they're being subbed in for. Yeah, definitely agree with you. Just, just not quite on the same level. As much promise as the the Canadian guys have, they're just not quite there yet. Now, five years from now, we could have, be having an entirely different conversation. There's just so much young talent on either side that we all really need to see whether or not it's going to pan out. If it does, then we could see potentially a really exciting rivalry, maybe something that comes close to how the women's teams uh, approach these games, these matchups. But uh, for the time being, U.S. definitely has the edge, I think, uh, regardless of whether or not you you factor in Davies and uh, David. Yeah, yeah, kind of similar to the U.S. men's national team with the Europe European-based team. Um, Right now, if the game is played tomorrow, I think we're on the same page, but in five, ten years, both all these players, um, specifically Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, um, they could make out to be some really special, and we could have a totally different conversation. But yeah, that is the conclusion of our U.S. men's national team, MLS Best 11, and Canadian men's national team Best 11. Um, if you guys have different ideas, feel free to add us on Twitter, do the all caps yelling. Um, and yeah, be sure to follow us on Twitter myself, at underscore Drew Hubbard and Josh at under, Josh underscore Boland um, and MLS Multiplex at MLS Multiplex. And yeah, be sure to visit the website. Um, even though we're going through this break together, writers are still cranking out a lot of really good stuff about the men's national team and Canadian men's national team. So it's definitely an exciting time. And I encourage you guys to check out the website and read some really good stuff. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. You can check out all the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com.